I'm going to ask Jenna Burgess to come. As she's coming, could you get your Bibles, turn them to John, John chapter 3, and she'll begin reading in verse 27. So John 3 and verse 27, she'll read to the end of the chapter. Good morning. John three twenty-seven. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Thank you so much for reading, Jenna. This past week, thousands of high school football players signed letters uh, of intent. They signed with universities. It was National Signing Day. Uh, Not really germane to the sermon, but my team had a nice National Signing Day, so that was good. Follow those things. My guess is that while some who signed with a particular university were, they were impressed with a a program or a system, my guess is that most often what made the difference with people signing with a particular university was a person, a coach, maybe it's a head coach, an assistant coach, someone in charge of recruiting that, that really the person entrusted at least three or four years of their future to, that that person would help develop them, kind of lead them in a path, give them some training and knowledge. Much more important than three or four years of football is the spiritual aspects of someone entrusting their lives to another person. As a matter of fact, what we looked at last week, and we're going to kind of pivot from what we looked at last week and go a little bit deeper into this chapter. John the Baptist puts his trust, his complete trust, in Jesus. And and that's significant because John the Baptist for a while had occupied center stage in the area where he was. People were paying attention to what he was doing. He was baptizing. He was leading people in, in spiritual transformation And now, in these verses that Jenna just read, he is talking about being overjoyed about being the friend of the groom, being a a, a best man. He speaks in language that just doesn't come natural to us, that Jesus must increase even as I decrease. This has to happen. And so you begin asking questions just on a human level. Like, what, what leads someone to be able to make that kind of confession? What leads someone to say, I am glad to get out of the way so long as attention goes to Jesus? What is it that drives a person's heart to do that? 
What, what makes a person say, my whole purpose in life is to make the name of another person great? That just does not come natural to us. We don't live for someone else's will to be done on our own. That takes trust, and John had that kind of assurance. And I want us to even go into our own life and ask, what kind of assurance or trust do we need to have to put our lives into the hands of Jesus like that? I don't think it'd be any surprise or any secret that I want every single person in this room, if I had my wishes, every single person in this room would entrust their lives to Jesus Christ. Every single person in our county, every single person in our country, every single person in our world. But what, what could happen, what has to happen in our heart to say, I will trust my life into the hands of another? And, and I want to follow John here because actually John will, will give us some guidance in, especially in verses 31 to 36, at how all that works. So I hope you're Bible stay open. Let's follow John here because he he says you can trust this person, you can trust Jesus when you understand where he ranks. Where Jesus ranks. You can trust him when you when you have a good idea of of how he ranks in relationship to everything else. Well, I grew up on a military uh, post, uh, an army fort, and rank was always right in front of you. And so you pull into the commissary, the grocery store, and there's like senior officers parking. And, and certain people got to live in this kind of housing because of rank, and other people lived in this kind of housing because of rank. And there was officers' clubs and officers' clubs' pools and all, all sorts of things that were keeping before you, here's where you rank. But it's not just military. Uh, certainly, even in academics, there's someone who's first in their class, someone that receives honors or high honors. In sports, there are people that are like the starters, and then there's the backup. In music, we, we would signify like, this person is first chair. This person is second chair. So you see, I mean, we do this ranking thing all the time. Life can be filled with figuring out where you rank. And actually, I think what John would tell us is what matters most about who you are is how you understand where Jesus ranks. As a matter of fact, look at verse 31. He says, he who comes from above is above all. This is Jesus. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, but he who comes from heaven is above all. So this is the rank of Jesus. Where does Jesus rank? He's above all. And we don't say that about anything or anybody else. There are different kinds of philosophies of how how to live life, how to do this or that. Some we'd go, that's as good as another. There are different desires we have where we'd go, that's a good one, that's a good one. There are people that matter to us, people that are important to us, and we say that person's important, this person's important. But actually what, what John is telling us is someone ranks above all of those. He is first, not just, not just because he's acquired a bunch of likes or got a, has a, a bunch of like, social followers, He's first because he comes with all authority from heaven. In this particular verse, that's what's being highlighted. Where he comes from makes all the difference. Where he comes from is different from where where you and I come from. One writer said it this way. I thought it was uh, helpful and just kind of got to the point real quick. He said, Christ comes straight from the heart of God. 
We come straight from the local hospital. So if you want to know where we might rank, or where anybody you've ever met might rank in comparison to Jesus Christ, Jesus is above all. What, what is from the earth has an earthly character to it. That's what John says. So you, you look at my life, and you look long enough, hard enough, it's going to say, I'm a person of this earth. I've got all the flaws, all the problems, all the difficulties. When you look at Jesus, you're seeing something different. And so my question might be, if, we, if I think most of us would nod and go, he is above all, then the question might be, what difference does that make? If, even if we took, let's say, a, a period of time, like, let's take the last 70, 72 hours, let's go back to Thursday this time, and imagine the decisions you've made, the time you've spent in a certain direction, the, the money that you've spent, the career choices you're pursuing, the sacrifices you've made. What is it saying about Jesus, whether he is above all? You think about the perspective you've had. You think about the attitudes, the responses, the reactions that you've had. You think about the relations. You, you think about what you've said no to versus what you've said yes to. Just in that period of time. And I would ask us all, does the fact that Jesus ranks above all, does that really show up? Because I know Jesus and because I know he ranks above all, that actually plays things out differently in my life than if I, I did not bow my knee to him. I'm definitely not asking if you've been perfect. I don't believe any of us are. But I'm asking, has it, has it made a difference? If we claim to be followers of Jesus, I, I definitely it would. So where we come from in this case determines rank, but, but John sees the rank of Jesus even, even in a different way. It says in verse 32, he shares more about Jesus. He says, Jesus bears witness. Now remember, he's just said that he's from above, and it says here he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. So the vantage point of Jesus is heaven, and none of us have that vantage point. The one giving the testimony and the evidence, or as John says, bearing witness, is the one from heaven. So he has the perspective of eternity. You and I do not. He has the perspective of knowing what's going on in, in every galaxy imaginable, everything that's going on on every continent here on this earth. He has that perspective. So when he says this is the way the world works, he has a very different perspective than I have. And he ranks above. He can tell us what is right and what's wrong because he has that perspective. He can tell us why someone's life may be lived and then go up in smoke the minute they pass away. And why someone may live their life in such a way where it will matter for eternity. He has the authority to tell us because he's come from heaven. He knows. He's not hidden. He's speaking. It says he, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. He's not hidden, he's speaking, he's telling what reality is like, and the surprising response is that people are not paying attention. That's what it says. No one receives his message, no one accepts his message. No one puts their confidence in what he has to say. I think part of the surprise in reading the Gospels is actually kind of sorting through the way in which God became flesh and came to this earth. Because we as humans often do this, especially we 
in the United States, we do things very, very differently. So last week, last Sunday, was a testament to how much we can hype a football game. It just goes, it goes overkill. It's like the pregame show is 60 hours of pregame. It's every little tidbit about this. It's every prediction. It's every forecast. It's, it's everything imaginable. It's hype and hype. And all, you know, two weeks before, it just keeps getting hyped, hyped. And then you get like a snoozer of a game. But, but there's this hype. You know, everybody is going to pay attention to this game. The whole world's watching this game. And how different. I think it just jars us that when Jesus comes... It's in Bethlehem, a quiet city. It's the shepherds. And the angels testify, but it seems like Jerusalem and Bethlehem just keep going on. Like, like nobody barely noticed. It's, it's different, isn't it? It's different. And because of that, the response is surprising. That pe- Why aren't people believing this? Why aren't people recognizing this? My guess is that some responded to Jesus by like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go... Pay attention to someone else. My guess is those, there were others that maybe are like people even in this room today. That you listen and you linger, but like you never fully buy in. It's not that you're, you're never around singing and teaching and church and Christians. My guess is there would be those that paid a little bit of attention to Jesus lingered around for a while, but never really bought in. In contrast to those who aren't receiving, notice what it says in verse 33. There are those who actually receive his testimony. And those who receive his testimony, his evidence, they say that that is true. They set his seal to this, that God is true. So there are those that receive the evidence and are convinced that God has come, God has kept his promises, God has spoken the truth. We don't, we don't think Jesus just made up stuff that people kind of started walking and paying attention to. We certify that God is true. God is faithful. When it says this person will set his seal, the analogy is something probably similar to ours, of like signing our name to something. When we sign our name, we're saying, I approve or I agree or I recognize, I confess, this is what I think. This is what I believe. This is what I know to be true. And it says when... The person who receives his testimony is saying, what Jesus says is right. What Jesus says is accurate. What Jesus says means God is true all along. Before we go, well, uh, yeah, of course, I'm, I'll sign up for whatever Jesus says. You begin to realize some of the tough stuff Jesus said. So Jesus is the one who said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And we, when we receive that message, we sign our name and say, we believe exactly what Jesus said. Jesus is the one that says, if you want to find your life, you're going to have to lose it. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And we say, that is absolutely right. Jesus said to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And we say, we believe that is true. Jesus said that God's intention for marriage was one man, one woman, covenant of marriage, in which sexual union is expressed there and only there. We say, because Jesus said it, it's true. God is true. And Jesus is, comes with full authority to speak that truth. 
Jesus says we shouldn't be jockeying for like what we can get, but we should see ourselves as servants. We say that is true. If anyone trusts his message, we're showing we believe that what God has said is true and we're banking reality on it. So when it comes to Jesus' rank, that he is above all, are you buying into that? And all you have to do is look at what matters to you. And if we begin to rank like, okay, where does my family rank in my life? Where do my friends rank in my life? Where does making money rank in my life? Where does prestige rank in my life? Where does getting what I want rank in my life? Where does being comfortable rank in my life? Where does being safe rank in my life? And you begin to recognize something's going to be at the top. Something's going to be there. And lots of other things are going to fall below that. Some things will not be that important. So where does he rank for you? John would trust his life to him. He could say, you know, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. First, because he has the rank. But he also would say, Jesus has relationships. So I want us to see Jesus' relationships because the rest of the chapter, the remaining three verses here, actually unpack the relationships Jesus has. Look at what it says in verse 34. It says, For he whom God has sent speaks or utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. If there is a God, we would want to know what he thinks, what he says, and how the world should be. And this is what John says. When Jesus speaks, he is coming with the commission of God the Father, and he's speaking what is true. He's speaking the very words of God. So if we want to know, if we want to know what God has to say, we don't have to like walk out and try to find a cloud formation and kind of try to read it and, and discern like, well, maybe God's telling me something there. We don't have to go to some seance where there's some sort of spiritual forces going on. We don't have to consult uh, astrology and find our sign and, and figure out, okay, what is this telling me about how I should live my life? We don't have to consult a, a spiritual guru to try to give us some, some path of enlightenment. Actually, where we go is we listen to Jesus because he is going to speak the words of God. That is where we are going to go. That is what we're going to pay attention to. God has sent someone who is speaking, and he's, it says in this passage that he's filled with God's spirit. That's interesting, the relationships. In verse 34, it says, he whom God has sent. Well, we know what the Father's intention in sending is because John three sixteen and 17 have already told us. God sent his son into this world because he loved this world. And then it says the son delivers God's message. He utters the very words of God. He doesn't go off script. He doesn't go rogue. This is what God has said. And it says that the spirit of God is fully at work through him. Do we realize one of the critical relationships Jesus has is Jesus has full power of the Spirit, full power of the Holy Spirit. There are lots of people in this world that want to be like spiritual people. And the Bible tells us exactly where spiritual people come from. They're people who are listening to the words of Jesus. When you notice how closely God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and God's Word are connected. You want to be spiritual? You listen closely to the words of Jesus. So in all the information that we get, 
we're hearing words all the time. And I actually have a concern about our soul. Because we're bombarded with words and messages and information. And so now I, now I have to think about, okay, which message is most critical for me to hear? If in a given day, I don't know how many texts you might receive, how many, how many messages in some form or some fashion you might get, how many posts you might read. But again, I, I begin to think like, okay, I'm processing all this information. What matters the most to me in this? What can I not afford to miss? Is it that text from someone that I love? I go, I'm not going to miss that. Is it breaking news from your cable news site of choice in which they'll give you like news breaks about every three seconds apparently? So you can get updates on that. And can, can you afford to live your life get, not getting that or do you have to get that every single moment and draw your attention to that? Or is it some uh, tips or investment recommendations or is it some some news about the market, news about the economy, or is it, is it some email newsletter about some hobby or diet you're trying, or is it, is it just the latest posts and pictures and you scroll and you scroll and you scroll just to see what, what news might be out there? Definitely not to put anybody on the guilt trip, but isn't the question really? Like, in all of that information, don't you need to hear from God? Don't you need to hear Jesus speaking? Don't you need to hear his voice? Well, if you do, then is that a priority? I was thinking about this yesterday when going through the the Bible reading plan that I have in a year. It it took me to Matthew 18. And so I was reading through the the plan there, and I read of the story. Remember, Jesus told of how a shepherd would leave the 99 and go after the one. So this this is what God had for me to read that day. And I thought that, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear the love, intentional love of the Father in going to rescue sinners like me, wandering sheep like me. Don't we need that? Don't we need that? Don't we need to prioritize that to say, I don't think I want to get any other messages before I get that, before I hear from the Lord. Jesus is the one that God has sent, but but the relationships of Jesus are also described in some other ways. Like, Look at verse 35. It says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. So there's another relationship of Jesus. So not only have we seen Jesus' rank, but also his relationships. And, and the relationship is this, that the Father loves the Son. The relationship between God the Father and God the Son is, is complicated. It's not always easy to understand. Yeah, I'll tell you what's not complicated is over and over again, when you see Father and Son together, you see something very close to that about love, about how the Father loves the Son. So you read even in Luke chapter 3, when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, and there's this voice that comes from the Father that says, you are my son. You are my beloved son. I'm well pleased in you. We get that. We get like what it means for a father to approve full affirmation of a son. I was watching basketball yesterday, and person made a three-pointer and immediately the camera went to dad watching the game and like he was proud as could be we get that it crosses cultures we get that and here it's another level altogether and the level is this jesus has full approval 
of the Father. So we want to talk about relationships. Jesus has the full power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks God's words and he has the full approval of the Father. The Father loves the Son and it says the Father has entrusted the Son with all power. All power in the world. And that's like a scary thing to think about. Fortunately, it's been a long time since the world has had to deal with some person that's trying to consolidate power in the whole world. But all you have to do is think of Hitler and realize how terrifying the prospect of someone doing that is. Unless, unless the person consolidating all power and all power is in the hands of one who is totally loving and totally wise and totally righteous. Then actually all power in his hand is the way the world is meant to be ruled and governed. He is the one that ought to have all authority. But the most amazing thing is the one who had all this authority in his hand is the one it says in Philippians 2 that he didn't look at equality with God, something he should grasp, but he humbled himself and he came in the form of a servant. He took on human form and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So what do you do with all that power, Jesus? All authority in your hand? And he points to a cross. And he says, I use it all for the good of those I'll save, those who will believe, those who will trust. What an amazing, amazing life. Jesus has full approval of God the Father and full power of the Spirit. Trot out anyone else and they just are not going to be anywhere close. They're not even going to be in the same category, which is why when we come to the end of John 3, we're really at a crossroads. And I want us to take in John 3, verse 36, because I really think all of this has been building up to push us to this crossroads because it says this. It contrasts. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But notice the word, whoever does not obey. Make note of that word. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes, it doesn't say will have eternal life. It says they possess it even now. They have it now and they'll enjoy it forever. It's deep and lasting life. It's, it's not going to end. And John could even say, the, the writer of this gospel, I wrote this whole book. I compiled all these parts of the life of Jesus. I wrote this so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ and you might believe and by believing you would have life. And this says, whoever believes has, possesses life. What good news that is. There, there aren't like, whoever believes this and does a lifetime of good deeds will have life. Whoever believes this and goes through about a three-year probationary period where we really determine whether you're serious will have life. This is not what it says. Whoever works hard to try to earn this, whoever meets certain conditions, whoever can pay a certain price, that's not what it says. It opens it up so wide, so generous is the invitation. How, how wide it is, whoever, whoever believes in the Son. I'd say even if you're not yet a Christian, I think you can begin to appreciate why Christians feel so strongly about all this. It doesn't stem from the fact that we're arrogant. It stems from us understanding this as the greatest news in the world. And, and I mean, how ridiculous would it be for us to not go public with that? To say, we really believe if you trust in Jesus Christ, your life will be completely different forever. Life and death hang on it. 
But there were two sides, right? Whoever believes has eternal life. The other side, we would expect it to say whoever doesn't believe, but it says something different. It says whoever doesn't obey. Whoever does not obey will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It actually portrays the opposite of believing as not obeying. So it's not just that you've rejected an offer, but you've rejected an order. You've rejected an order when Jesus says, believe on me, trust in me. And you've said, not just, wow, I can't believe it. You've said, no, I won't. I won't believe it. I won't do that. And that's where things begin to get very serious. The way one pastor wrote over 100 years ago, he said, if faith in Christ brings with it present and immediate privileges, to remain unbelieving is to be in a state of tremendous peril. If heaven is very near to the believer, hell must be very near to the unbeliever. The greater the mercy that the Lord Jesus offers, the greater will be the guilt of those who neglect and reject it. This is exactly where we might be tempted to go soft when it talks about God's wrath remaining on someone. This is where we might be tempted to water this down just so we don't make anybody feel uncomfortable and and, and try to kind of rearrange. Our world has a knee-jerk response that says, ah, let's not make it that kind of, that narrow. Even I was watching a journalist uh, being interviewed this week and she had a parents of two very different faiths. And, and her thought was, well, they all say the same thing anyway. And I think, no, they don't. The two she mentioned don't say anywhere close to the same things. So this, this could be a temptation where we go, well, actually what Jesus meant, or actually this, eh, this isn't quite what we think it is. But do we have a license? Do we think we have a license to like, help Jesus out? Improve the words of the Bible here a little bit? We don't. When it comes to eternal punishment or judgment or talk of hell, can we as Christians be mean or morbid or self-righteous about it? Sure. Sure we can. But we can't gloss over the fact that this passage ends in a warning. I mean, it's an invitation, and right on the heels of that is a warning. And it's not like Jesus gives this warning every verse of the Bible. But when Jesus gives one of these warnings, it's not so much a grayscale. Like, it is crystal clear what he's saying. We're not, we're not trying to figure out exactly what Jesus said or what he meant. When he said, whoever does not obey will not see life. The Sermon on the Mount ends the same way. It's like you build your house on the rock and it stands. You build your house on the sand and everything you've ever lived for is wiped away. Those who will not believe, obey, receive, remain under the wrath, the punishment, the condemnation of God. They stay there. And if you hear wrath of God, don't hear like, like maybe my wrath, which would be a temper tantrum because I didn't get my way or something. Think of God's wrath as that settled justice, that justice that's perfect. When you realize that the punishment was exactly needed and had to come. The right thing was done and it's settled. The right verdict was rendered and it was the only right thing to do. God's wrath remains.
when we hear Jesus speak like that. When we hear Jesus speak of matters of life and death. I think it's meant for us to take inventory of like, okay, where do I see him ranking? And what relationships do I understand that he has? Do do I really understand he comes with the full affirmation of the Father, full approval there, and the full power of the Holy Spirit? Or do I land in a different place? I, where, where we are as a church, pretty often I'm crossing to get anywhere. I'm, I'm going near, going under, going over railroad tracks. And occasionally there's, you know, a train is, is going by and maybe I'm stopped at a light and you, you watch car after car after car go by. And I thought about that this week because I thought I, we could, we can watch those cars go by but it is very, very different than being on the train. We can just observe, but it's very different if you're on the train headed in a particular direction. And I wonder, I wonder today, if there are those that you're observing, Christianity, you hear, you, I mean, you, you understand, you process it all, but it's kind of like the train. It's just going by. And you're watching it, you kind of understand where it's going. How different it is when it's not just the train that passes you by, but when you put your faith in Christ Jesus. You say, I'm not just watching it. I'm going to live it. I'm going to bank my whole life on it. If you want to know what it means to trust in Jesus Christ, You've heard Jesus' message of receiving who he is and what he's done. Today, I just tell you, like, place your faith in him. You may have some unanswered questions. let's, Let's talk about those. But for some, it may not be any more questions need to be answered. It just is a step of faith. And will you do it? Will you do it? Will you turn from everything else that you've trusted in to make your life meaningful? Will you trust in Jesus Christ? Is this that moment? Is today that day that initiates something brand new for you? I pray that it will be. And maybe you say, Curtis, I don't know where to start. I I don't know where to start with that. It may start with just a prayer. There are no magic words, but it may start with a prayer. Acknowledging, dear Lord, I know, I know I am a sinner. And yet I hear what Jesus Christ did for me. I am trusting in that and nothing else. Help me follow you. Help me walk in your ways. But I am trusting in you. What I'd like for us to do now, can I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes? Can we just give space to think about this? And if you have come to that place where you've trusted in Jesus, can I encourage you to tell someone about it? maybe even before you leave today, to go public with it. There'll be people here available. I'll be in the back. Other pastors are here. Maybe you have a friend. Like, Make that known. Go public. I want to pray for you. Lord, we've seen where your son ranks. And I pray that we would bow the knee to him. We've seen his relationships. And I pray that you would work in our hearts to believe for the person that is struggling, there's an obstacle in between them believing and not. I pray that you would remove that.
Give them faith to believe, faith to trust you are who, who you say you are. You've accomplished salvation for us on the cross. I pray there might be a difference in our lives today going forward. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.